I am so excited to be with you. Uh, my name is Alfred Turley. I'm one of our campus pastors in Chatsworth. I also get to work in our discipleship areas with our small groups and our discipleship teams, helping people grow in their walk, um, the discovering Jesus and learning to follow him. And that's a, a passion of mine uh, because, you know, once you really begin to discover who Jesus is and the incredible love our Father has for us, it should affect us and change our lives. And, uh, and I'm excited about this series, you know, because we, we had a really, I mean, obviously what an incredible year, uh, year and a half, whatever we've been through, um, like nothing most of us have ever known. But I know back in January, kind of in response to, to what we were going through, you know, Matt, our leaders just felt like, you know, God was calling us to a new level of dependence on him. And that dependence came in prayer, that we have to be a church, a body of people radically dependent on God. And we have to be that because where God's calling us to be required a new level of dependence than maybe we had been used to in the past. And I know I'm that way. I know everything we've been through has certainly shown that for me. Well, around that time, uh, you know, several of us went through a book by a guy named Neil Cole called Pray. And in this book, um, Neil suggested a specific prayer out of Luke, one of the Gospels, Luke chapter 10. And, uh, and Neil just suggests a prayer that we begin praying that's about the mission of God, about harvesters and labors into the harvest. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be a better follower of Christ. I'm trying to be a better leader in our church. And he specifically suggested this for church leaders. So I began to pray this prayer. And he, he was like, you know, get your phone, set an alarm to go off every day at 10.02 a.m. to remind you to pray Hey, Lord, we're asking for the harvesters. We're asking for laborers into the harvest. So I've been doing this. And, um, you know, one of the things I've always, I think, I think is real interesting about following God. And, you know, I guess it's life. You think you know things. And then as time goes on and you begin to really get into things, you're like, oh, my gosh, I did not know this. And, and that's really been one of these things with prayer and with the dependence on prayer, and praying this specific prayer. And I will say, you know, Matt, we came out with this, Matt came up with a slogan, you know, we're going to pray until we pray. And that really, to me, means it's not just a cursory thing. It's not just, hey, I'm going to pray once and done, check it off. We're going cons- to we're gonna go. We're going to be consistent. We're going to persevere. We're going to stand firm. We're going to keep going because we're going to pray until we know we've brought them, it's like until we know God's heard and we, and we know he hears anyway. But there's just a sense of sometimes you pray until you know, man, I've prayed. Well, and that's what we want to do with this as well. And so I've, I've been praying this, you know, kind of every day. And I just want to talk about, honestly, what this has done to me. And kind of tell you how it's changed me and how it can change all of us and what the potential outcome could be. So I want to go to Luke chapter 10, and we'll start in verse 1, and, uh, and just start in the story. But I, the context here is this. Jesus has, I mean, he's in his ministry, and he's actually setting out toward Jerusalem. So he actually sends 72 others in addition to his 12 disciples. He sends 72 others out on a 
kind of a preparation journey going out and preparing towns and villages for where he's about to go, which is actually what the verse says. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He wanted to kind of prepare the ground for him coming. And get ministry going ahead and going there. So, you know, he wanted it going. So we're talking at least 36 other towns plus wherever his, his other 12 disciples were going. So then he told them, and this is, this is going to be our prayer, the dangerous prayer we talk about today. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, if you've ever been around church world, some of us have grown, around, grown up in church. You've probably heard this before. Somebody told you to pray it, and maybe you've been in some sort of service where we prayed this before. Ask the Lord of the harvest and workers in the harvest field. But you know, as I've begun praying it more and more, the, God, the Lord's, you know, again, he's just showing me, you think you understand this, but you don't. And I want to go to this first one, the first part here, which is, the harvest is plentiful. Because I have to tell you that on my own personal journey, what God has began to show me is that I don't act or think like the harvest is as plentiful as it is and that it's as urgent as it is. Now, and now I, can, I think I can explain this because as I've been, I've been asking myself, why, why isn't my life more dominated by an urgency of the harvest, an urgency of the lostness around me? And I, I, you know, I actually would say that in my life now, I feel the greatest urgency for us to reach our culture, to reach the world than I've ever felt. And I don't know if it's just because of the year we've been through or because of I've been praying this prayer. But here's one of the things I do know, especially like I'll say in our culture and, you know, I've grown up in this, in the Northwest Georgia region, been in this region all my, well, all my life. And I'll say this, especially in some of our communities, sometimes it feels like everybody goes to church. Now I know that's changing, especially especially as the younger generation comes in. But then, you know, people say, oh yeah, I'm already a Christian. I was baptized when I was little or I was went to a confirmation class or something. Oh yeah, I go to, I've been at this church and where are you going now? Well, no, not really. And, you know, and, and there's just this sense of when you begin talking to people about it, they're like, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm, you don't need to worry about me. I'm, you know. Or when you talk about people, there's open hostility. You know, I mean, you can get chewed out about it. Or just, I don't want to hear about your, you know, church junk. Or I don't want to hear about that stuff. You know, there's just a lack of hunger, it feels like, so often. And it just, and, and here's what it feels like. You know, because when I think about the harvest, and I think about going and bearing fruit, or getting fruit, or, you know, reaping a harvest. You know, I'm used to, and maybe you've done this, I'm used to going to L.J., during the apple picking time where it's like, pick your own apples. And you go out there, and man, that tree is loaded. And you just go right up there. Oh, that one's pretty. That one's not, but there's plenty right here. And you're just picking your apples like nothing you've ever seen. There's apples everywhere. And it is not hard. I mean, it is not hard at all. And I think sometimes for me that as I'm trying to be a witness to people in the community and having the heart to reach people, Sometimes I'm like, man, this just, I'm just not, I don't know, I see the fruit, and I'm running into hardness, I'm running into things, and I, I realized I began to challenge this verse, 
and say, God, I'm, I'm not entirely sure the harvest is plentiful here. Well, but let me, let me go to some things because I think we need, I think we, I, I, maybe if you've ever, if I've ever thought this, maybe you've thought this. So I want to confront what God confronted me with. So I began to say, well, God, maybe I, maybe I struggle to believe it's real. Show me, help me understand. So the Lord began to take me to some, some stories, and, and we're going to go to those in just a second. But I want to say this, Israel in Jesus's day was steeped in religion, steeped in Temple ceremonies, traditions, the law of Moses, religious leaders. I mean, it was steeped in religious tradition. So we can't say they were in an unchurched or unreligious, you know, environment. So we kind of, a lot of us know what that's like, okay? So that was Jesus' day. But I want to go to a few stories here. So real quickly, I'm going to just give you this scan through. We've got in Matthew 9, we've got the story of Matthew, a tax collector. In Luke 19, we've got the story of Zacchaeus, the chief of tax collectors in the city of Jericho. In both of these stories, we have men who have totally rejected their country, totally rejected people. They don't care about people. They care about the money. Show me the money. That's what they're all about. They want success. They want money. They want wealth. That's what they've lived for. They don't care what anybody else thinks about them or they've, they've given up on that. But Jesus shows up. Jesus steps into their world and says, I see you. And God God loves you. God cares about you. God has a purpose for you bigger than money. And both of them sign up. Both of them, they're in instantly. Instantly. And then we've got the demon-possessed man in, a, in the story from, and it's actually mentioned in three separate books of the New Testament. Mark 5, Matthew 8, and Luke 8. The demon-possessed man, a man so possessed with demons that when they come up to him and ask him, what's your name? Legion, because there's many of us in here. And he's so demon-possessed that they, whenever they try to, to put him in chains or try to cage him up or try to put him, he breaks loose. No one can subdue, subdue him. He is completely hopeless to all the methods and, and knowledge of men, medicine, whatever. No one can help this guy. So he's out in the tombs, screaming at night, crying out, cutting himself with stones. But one encounter with Jesus, he's free. One encounter with Jesus, and they're gone. One encounter, and he asked Jesus, can I go with you? Because he's probably like, man, I don't want to go back to face all these people. You know, can I go with you? And Jesus says, no, go back and tell everyone what God has done for you. And he goes back, and it says that he goes back into the Decapolis, the ten cities, tells everyone what God has done for him. And then actually we see later on in chapters that when Jesus comes back to the Decapolis, comes back to that region, the whole region is knows who Jesus is and is ready for him. And they're bringing all these people to be healed because he has prepared the way. That's what God did to this man's life. And then let's talk about the Samaritan woman in John 4. Now the Samaritan woman, obviously this woman, if you look at the story, and I know some of these are new, I'm just giving you the, you know, the Cliff Notes version. So John, in John 4, the Samaritan woman has had five husbands, and then she's divorced again or something, and she's with someone that's not her husband now. This is not a woman who has lived a life that is exemplary according to the religious traditions of the day. She is not an upstanding citizen of the year, obviously, and in fact, when Jesus begins to confront her, she begins to voice a little 
little bit of bitterness and resentment against the religious, kind of the religious things of the day and how she feels kind of isolated from the Jews and the temple worship and all this stuff. But Jesus loves her. Says God cares, God sees, God cares about you and he wants your worship in a way. He just says it. He says God wants your worship. He wants you. She goes into the town and says, come out here and see, see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? So one who was maybe ashamed, now is not so ashamed to tell everybody. The whole town comes out. Jesus spends three days with them. And they all say, yeah, we know. This is, this is the Messiah. We know it. Now then in Acts 9, we have the story of Saul. A man so religious... So steeped in religious traditions and upbringing that he was killing and persecuting Christians. That were threatening what he held dear. But one encounter with Jesus on the road. Revealing that he was in the wrong. And he is transformed, a transformed, changed man, and becomes the, one of the biggest figures in our Christian faith, writing the bulk of the New Testament for us. But God. Now, see, here's why, here's why I bring these things up. We can't look at anyone's life and write them off. There's no one you can look at. You can't look at that. You can't look at that rich guy who's pursuing wealth and seems to have put everything aside. You can't look at him and write them off. You can't look at your neighbor who, you know, has a terrible, just has had a, you know, failed divorce or failed marriage after failed marriage after failed marriage and write them off. You can't look at someone who's stuck in, uh, you know, anxiety or, or mental situations or, or into, you know, to your degree, uh, to your assessment, like spiritual bondage. You can't write them off. We can't say it's hopeless. We can't do that. No one is beyond the power of the gospel. So when we look at those stories and we look at the spiritual season of that day, we must say now the harvest is plentiful. Right here. Right now. In northwest Georgia and Tennessee. It's, it's plentiful everywhere. It doesn't matter the hostility. It doesn't matter the culture. The harvest is absolutely plentiful. So we see this now. Now let's go on. I want to, let's look to the, the prayer part. We, we've, we've addressed that statement. So let's go to the prayer. Ask the Lord of the heart. Let me go back to it. Okay. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Okay, we know this. Listen, because he's going to say this. He's going to say, go. But you need to understand this. Our role is to go, but first, it's to pray. Okay? Our role is to go. And this is a going church. We'll talk about it in a minute. This is a going church. But, but first, our job is to pray. You see, here's what I've learned through the years about prayer. And, and people who have, have been around me, y'all, 
If you know me, you know I, I'm passionate about prayer. But I'll t- I'll, and I've said this many times. I'm passionate about prayer because I'm a scaredy cat. Because I'm, I'm nervous. I get afraid. I get scared. And, but when I go to God with, in my, with my fears, he takes my fears away. So prayer is kind of my go-to thing because prayer is what takes my fear away. Because I go to him and he, he assures me that he's got me and he gives me courage. He gives me faith and I know we go, we're going to make it. And see, here's what I've learned about prayer and why we have to pray this. Why we need to pray these things is because when I begin to pray, God begins to line my heart up and my thoughts up with his. I, we begin to line up. He begins to shape me and change me. And then he puts me in the place to receive the answer to the prayer and steward the answer to the prayer and care about the answer to the prayer. If you've prayed about something for years and years and years and years, when that answer comes, you're going to care about it. You're going to steward it. You're going to protect it. You're going to rejoice. It's going to be a huge thing in your life. If you've never prayed about something, if you've never even asked for something, never even really wanted something and somebody gives you a gift, you're like, well, okay, that's nice. All right. Okay, not sure what I'm going to do with it, but okay. But when you've prayed and you've sought and you've done that, you've lined your heart out. You are now a trusted steward of that thing that you've prayed for and God can give it to you knowing that you will cherish it the way he cherishes it to a degree. So part of this is we pray so we can get God's heart For the harvest, God's heart for people coming to know Jesus. Because if we don't, we won't cherish it. We won't care for it the way he wants us to. So God works in us through that prayer. He loves them. It's his harvest. He wants us to care about it the way he does. Now as far as praying for laborers to be sent. Because I remember when when I was reading this, I was like, you know, praying for laborers to be sent. I'm like, God, I thought, you know, I thought maybe like, you know, we should pray, God, help me raise up laborers. Help me train up laborers. But instead, you're, praying, you're asking us to pray for laborers to be sent by you. You follow me? I mean, it's a little bit different. And, and I, I was like, Lord, what is going on here? And then I began to see this. We need people sent by God. Filled with his heart and his power. Now let me, let me explain the difference here. If I'm sent by God out of my relationship of love with him. The, it's not about the results. I, I don't know what the results are going to be. He sent me. I'm going. My job is to obey. I love him. I've experienced his love. I've experienced his, his presence in my life. Now it's about he's my king. I'm doing what my king said. Now I don't know what's going to happen out here. I believe I'm expecting there's going to be some good things happening. But when it's all said and done, I'm about to. I'm going to obey. Now see, that is what we need. That is what we need in the harvest. We need people who are going to stand in that place of darkness, in that place of hardship where people are like, it's taking them a long time. And, we're, and they're going to pray until they pray. They're going to pray through and pray for the, the breakthrough, pray for the breakthrough in someone's life because they're like, it doesn't matter. My king sent me. And that's why God, that's why Jesus is saying, you need to pray for people to be sent 
by the king. Because if they're sent by God, sent his labors into the harvest, that's an entirely different situation. And that is what we need. We need people sent by God with his heart and his power. I mean, think about this too. As we look in, I'm going to go to verse 9. I'm going to skip down in this passage to verse 9 where Jesus gives a, one specific instruction to, the, to the, the disciples. Once they get to the towns, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. In another, uh, another passage in one of the other books, he says, heal the, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with skin diseases, cast out demons. Now, I don't know about y'all. I don't feel completely equipped to do all that. Um, I have not seen some of those things happen. I've heard stories of some of those things happen. I will say we have definitely seen people healed in our services, healed in our in first Wednesdays, healed in situations. I would love to see more. Here's the point on this. In this task, we must stay dependent on God. It is a supernatural work that we're looking for. Salvation, the greatest miracle of all, is a changed life. The greatest miracle, the greatest supernatural work is when God gets a hold of our heart and turns us from our self-centered ways and our self-centered sin and saves us and gives us eternal life. That's the greatest miracle of all. It's the greatest healing of all. He healed me of myself. Healed me from my sin. We need the power of God and we must stay dependent on God. We can't do this without him. So another reason. That's why we have to pray first. Why we say around here. Be before do. We have to pray first. We stay in the power of God. Because it's his work. Let's go on. Go back. And we're going back to verse 3. And this is so. So he's given us the prayer. And then he tells the, the disciples. And here's a, here's a funny thing. So they're going to pray. Send workers into the harvest. We need workers into the harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest. And then he says. But go. You're going to answer your own prayer. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals. And do not greet anyone on the road. And get your eyes off of the how. Now let me explain that. He said, lambs among wolves. I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Sometimes, and I think you probably feel this way, we feel very under-equipped and very maybe, you know, ill-prepared. You know, I've heard that sometimes. Um, we feel like when we're getting out there and I don't know what to say to people. I don't know how to tell them about Jesus. I don't know how to, I don't know how to argue with an atheist. Y'all, I don't know how to argue with an atheist. Every time I've tried to argue with an atheist, they come at me with a different argument. It's not like there's a manual that says how to argue with an atheist. And maybe, maybe there is. Maybe there's a book you can memorize. You can have all the arguments that an atheist will throw at you. I have not read it and I don't think God's called me to, to, to memorize that yet. You know, so I, I tell you what, I don't, think, I don't think that's necessarily the kind of preparation we need. I think we need to depend on the Holy Spirit. And we've got to get our eyes off of the how. We're going to feel like lambs among wolves. And, and Jesus is almost like saying, it doesn't matter if you feel that way. If you feel underprepared, if you feel under-equipped, get your eyes off the how. Get your eyes off of the method. And here is why. Because obedience is our motivation Prayer is our preparation, and the Holy Spirit is our equipping. 
And if you will get your eyes off of the how, get your eyes off of those things. And it's like Adventure Week. I've got my Adventure Week t-shirt on. We are, this is kicking off pretty much right now. And we are excited about Adventure Week. But I, you know, sometimes I talk to people about Adventure Week and, and recruiting. Listen, I started at Rockbridge in children's ministry as a volunteer, as a bridge builder. That's how I started before I ever started working at Roberts. I was in children's ministry. And I can tell you that every, and then I ended up in student ministry for a while. And I've obviously done a lot of everything. And, and I've been in just all sorts of different things. I've been on mission trips and, and all sorts of stuff. And I will tell you this. Every single time I did it, I felt completely unequipped. I felt afraid. I felt terrified. I mean, I love hearing stories about people who go to go on mission trips, especially like some of the third world countries, and they're terrified at first. They're like, what is going on? And that's the problem. We get our eyes on the how, and we get our eyes on whether or not we're prepared, but we're looking at the wrong preparation. And like when I talk to people about serving in, in Adventure Week, and, and I just will tell you this. If you still, if you are interested after this message, if you, if you are interested in serving in Adventure Week and helping us at all, I promise you, even now, you talk to your RB Kids minister, you talk to your campus pastor, they have a place for you. We would love to have even more help than we already have for Adventure Week. We're so pumped about what's going to happen with kids coming to know Jesus and hearing the word of God. But I want to hear you. I've talked to so many people and I say, have you ever thought about serving in, you know, RB Kids, Robert's Kids? And, and it's almost like you hold up a rattlesnake to them. You know, and they're like, ooh, you know. And, uh, and they're like, oh, no, no, no. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not good with kids. And I'm like, and, and then here, I've started saying this. And uh, to those of you who have already heard, you, you know, I've said this to you, just know, um, well, they, I'll say, um, don't you have kids? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've, yeah, I've got kids. And some of, some of the, maybe some, some of you seniors that I've talked to, you know, sometimes I'll say, don't you have grandkids? Well, yeah, 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 that's different. And um, y'all, it's not. I mean, if, you, if you, you threw yourself into the fire with your own kids and throw yourself in the fire with your grandkids, do you really think you can't do this? And you really think God won't use you? And, you know, do you really think you're going to be miserable? I'm telling you, I love it. It's been wonderful. And I'm not saying everybody's called the kit to Rockbridge Kids. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I'm saying so often we're recruiting and you know, asking people to serve in student ministry and any of our ministry things. We get this. Like I said, we hold up a rattlesnake and they're like, Ey. you know, you are looking at yourself, not at God. You're not looking at his ability to use you. And you disqualify yourself. And Jesus is telling us, get your eyes off the how. Get your eyes off that. Get your eyes on him. He's sending you. He will equip you. He is the equipping. Now I want to go on to verse 5. When you enter, so now, now the disciples, their instructions on entering into the town. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome to eat what's offered to you, heal the sick. We read this verse. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, 
The kingdom of God has come near. Now, there's two things that I think he's kind of saying here. I'm going I'm to pull these two. Honestly, we could talk for hours on these. So many rich things in all this. There's so much richness in the word of God. But there's two main things I want to I just point out. The first is this. Things will not go as planned. All right? Things will not go as planned. I mean, you're going to go, and who knows, you're trying to, maybe you're trying to read someone, you're praying for someone, you've got a grand plan, and everything gets turned around. It happens, it's okay, guess what, he knew, he knows about it, just keep going, and you be faithful, and you be sent. Not only should you, don't fear rejection, expect rejection. Some, if you're doing what you're called to do, someone's going to say, no thanks. And they probably won't say it that nicely. You know, someone goes like, you know what, I don't want to hear your Jesus stuff. I don't want to hear this from you. Just take it. And that, that, I mean, you might get cussed at. I don't know. I, I mean, especially if those of us, I mean, one day I got cussed out at Shaw. I was working at Shaw this a long time ago. And this lady just... You know, lots of good words and just take it and stick it, whatever. And, I mean, stuff happens. Expect some rejection. But you know what? That's a sign you're doing your job. That's a sign you're living sin. Because you've cast that seed, that word of God, out to that place where it's needed. And you have no idea what it's going to do. You just be faithful. So expect rejection. Plans are going to change. All that stuff happens. But here's the next one I want you to realize. In all this stuff, going into a house, you know, eating what's served. Here's, here's what I want you to get the picture of. Think bigger than yourself. Think team. Someone needs to make the food. Someone needs to provide the bed. Someone needs to have the house. In the book of Nehemiah, you know, Ezra was on the platform. Someone had to build the platform. Someone has to do all sorts of different roles. At Rockbridge specifically, we have so many different bridge builders serving. Somebody's making coffee. Somebody's making food. Someone's doing the website. Someone's running the camera. Somebody's doing the sound. Somebody's doing the worship. Somebody's putting website stuff, material, and writing discussion guides and prayer things. It takes a team. You got nursery workers in the nursery. I love kids. I love kids. I can do the nursery for a little bit. But, the, you know, I, I do love kids. I've got lots of kids. I, I've got four. I love kids. The nursery, bless you, nursery workers. Bless you. You know, think team. Think bigger than yourself. We, this is a family endeavor. And as we live sent together, here's don't, it's not about you. And be ready to let other people in. Do you have your small group praying with you for missional things? Are there people in your life you're praying to reach and you've got your small group praying with you? Or even have you told the church, hey, pray with me as I'm trying to reach this person or I'm trying to deal with this situation and trying to help someone. Get your church involved. It is a team effort. We are all called. And, and here's the thing, when, when we do this, see, as we're praying this prayer, Lord, we're asking for laborers to be sent in the harvest what that begins to do is make your heart bigger and you're also looking around going, who can I, who can I bring along? 
Hey, man, you know what? You've got the gift of, you seem to be a good administrative type person. You know what? Man, some of us who are real, man, we're, some of us are terrible administration. Come over here and help us get some order into this thing. We need it. And then someone, man, you are so good at, at leading a Bible study or teaching or whatever. Get over here. We need you to help you teach. We need you to help us teach. Or you know what, man, you are such, you are a prayer warrior. Will you come over here? Will you pray for us? And will you just start interceding on behalf and covering what we're doing in prayer? We need all of that. And I would tell you one of the reasons I feel like we've had an, just an incredible six months of seeing God do some amazing things is because we've got more prayer going on. More prayer people moved into the prayer teams than we've ever had before, which excites me. It excites us all, I think. But. Here's what happens when all this comes together, all right? So we recognize again that we need to pray first, that we need to lean into God's power. We recognize it's a team effort. We recognize we need to pray and get our hearts prepared to steward all this. And we begin to have big faith that when we do what God asks us to do, that even though there's going to be some rejection, even though there's going to be some disappointments, here's his, see, here's the thing. He says the holdup on the harvest is not God. It's the laborers. So as the laborers are sent, and God's sovereign, I, I don't understand all this mystery, this mystery, but God, the laborers are sent, we're going to see a harvest. We're going to see, we're going to see miraculous things. We're going to see addictions broken, marriages healed. We're going to see life change. It's his harvest. This is what he wants. Now I want to just give you an example, a really cool one of how this just kind of works together. And just kind of how this can play out. So I think it was a few, maybe a month and a half ago. At staff chapel on a Tuesday morning, we as a, we, we, our staff met together in one, in, in our Ringgold campus, and, um, and we were able to virtually participate in a baptism of a lady in Ecuador. So I am really excited about this. I want you to see this. So let's check this out. Hi, Rockbridge. My name's Ruth, and I live in Ecuador for six months of the year and six months in Florida. And it's about a year ago that I found God. Well, he, actually, he found me. It was the beginning of the pandemic. I was lonely and alone, and my friend Kay and Janet said, come on up and we'll watch some church. Not expecting to really enjoy church, I came up just for the socialization. And I listened to Matt, and again, it was pretty interesting. So I came back again. And then that week, Kay gave me a Bible. And she said, why don't you follow along the scriptures with the Bible? So I did, and it seemed better. I said, hey, that's pretty good. The next week, I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, I started to smile, and tears were rolling down my face, and I didn't know what was going on. And then it, was, it finally hit me like a bolt of lightning. I think that was the Holy Spirit coming upon me. 
Well, from that day on, everything looked brighter and prettier. I appreciated everything that I had. I looked to God, I started to pray, and like Matt said, I prayed until I couldn't pray anymore. And I realized I was a new person, that I had found God. But I was missing something, and that was baptism. I was baptized as a baby, and I don't remember any of that. So I got in touch with Matt via uh, Facebook and Messenger, and we arranged to have a baptism by Zoom. So I'm very pleased that I'm going to be accepted into the church with Matt as the pastor performing the ceremony for me, and that God will be in my heart forever and ever, and the church will be in my heart forever and ever, and I will be striving every day to be more Christ-like. Thank you very much. Bye. Rockbridge, Ecuador. How are y'all doing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just... We just listened to Ruthie's testimony of her coming to a Life in Christ. There's probably 40, 50 of us here watching live, and uh, man, some of us are crying because your story is beautiful. Matt! Hey, Ruthie. Hey, Ruthie. How are you doing? Matt, I'm so excited. Hey, Ruthie, we just listened to your testimony. We're so excited, too. But I have to say, we're looking at the beach behind you, and we really want to be there where you are, okay? But you can come anytime. <laughs> All right. So, Ruthie, we're going to baptize you right now, and we've heard your story. We, we, we already just see evidence just in our, our, our conversation that Christ is... Can I, I know. Wait a minute. Does she want to hold her nose? Yeah, yeah. Hey, don't jump the gun, Ruthie. We're getting there, okay? No, but we just want to, we, we see Christ in you, and we're, we're your church. We're brothers and sisters in Christ forever, and so we're just honored to celebrate this moment. And so just kind of on behalf of all of Rockbridge and, and through the, the love and shepherding of, of Larry and Kay, Ruthie, we baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now you can hold your nose. Uh -oh. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. I got to fix my hair. <laughs> what did you say, uh, Ruthie? I had to fix my hair. <laughs> Oh, Ruthie, you're beautiful, and we love you, and we're excited about what Christ is doing in your life and what he's doing uh, in Ecuador. It's, it's just it's beautiful and powerful. Ruthie, you want to say anything else? Again, our whole staff and a lot of our leadership's here in the room listening and watching. You want to say anything else? Well, what I want to say is that if it wasn't for Matt, I would not be here today. Your, your words, your scriptures, your attitude made me a true believer in the Bible. Before, I just thought the Bible was a book. Now I know what it is. And that's because of you and Rockbridge. And I thank you with all my heart. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you. So, Ruthie, we just give glory to God. We're, we're all just doing uh, our parts for the kingdom. And gosh, it's just beautiful to see the kingdom grow 
today. And so, uh, hey, God bless. We're praying for y'all. We're here for you any way we can be. Hey, Ruthie, we love you. Kate, Larry, thank y'all so much. And uh, live sent. God bless. Best is yet to come. Bye. Bye. What an incredible story. What an incredible testimony for us to celebrate together. Life in Christ, new life, a transformed life. The greatest miracle of all, the supernatural work of God is to change life. The Holy Spirit coming on her. But I want to go back to, go back to this. It takes a team. It, it's, it, yeah, we, and I'm so grateful for Matt. Matt, Matt is, Matt is a, an incredible gifted teacher and preacher for us as a church. And I'm so grateful for him. He's just mentored me. But I'm so grateful for the people running the cameras, for the people running the website, for the people handing out things, for the people serving coffee, for the people doing, doing food service, for the people helping us do hope ministries, for the people helping us do Rockbridge Kids, for the people in there in the nursery, for the people in there doing large group elementary, for the people in student ministry, for the student ministry worship teams, for our student ministry small group leaders, for our adult small group leaders, because it takes a team. And it takes a team loving God, loving others, and living sent on the mission of our king. No matter what we see, no matter what we face, there will be obstacles, there will be rejection, there will be struggles, but it will be worth it. And if we expect it, we are going to see a move of God and we are going to see the harvest because we are sending, we are participating with God to have laborers sent. But we must pray. So my ask of all of you is there's so many things. You know, there's next steps for us. But my, ne- my ask of you is will you begin praying this prayer? Reminding yourself the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Father, we ask you to send laborers into the harvest. Would you pray with me now? Fathers, we come to you. Lord, we just simply recognize now. I recognize it more than ever before that the harvest is abundant. It's everywhere. It's all around us. And Lord, you are asking us to pray first, to be in relationship with you, to get our hearts aligned with you, to prioritize you first so that we can steward this great move and truly live sent on your mission from a heart and a love for our King and our Savior. Lord, I pray today that you would fill us with that love. Fill us with your passion. Align our hearts with yours so that we will live sent for the mission of our King Jesus. Lord, and we ask for open doors. We ask, Lord God, for courage. We ask for bold love to reach a fallen world. And see the harvest. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.